Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. I have a story in an upcoming Joe Ledger anthology that is now available for pre-order at Amazon.com. If you're not familiar with the Joe Ledger series, it's written by my buddy Jonathan Mayberry. This anthology is called Joe Ledger Unbreakable, and it is out November 9th, 2023. It features my story, Little Murder Machine. It's from the point of view of Joe Ledger's cat. That's right, Joe Ledger's cat. So if you are a Ledger fan or a Mayberry fan or a cat person, you will probably like my story. Other than that, I am making progress on Warpath, my next novel. I think the first draft will be done at the end of August 2023. Then it's the final draft of GFL Book 7. And then it's diving headlong into the Crypt Book 2. I'd be so busy. Let's get back to Slay. I will get you caught up in the story. And then we're all going to go kick around some kitty litter. Previously on Slay, Butch followed Billy back to the Old Stone Church and was able to lead his rolling outlaw gang members into the entryway. Dragon the dog turned into Dragon the dragon, but Butch used a meshwork ring given to him by Boss Hog to bind the protector. Magda and Ariella came out of the nave to face off against Butch and his men. Ariella used her threadwork necklace to make the outlaw's guns heat up to the point where the men could not hold them. Meanwhile, Mercutio led Lincoln through the tunnels beneath Callista's building. The unlikely duo is about to take on the Flechette sisters and their big cats in a skirmish that could determine the course of the battle. How about we do this the easy way, Butch? You punks get face down the floor, or... You can try me, and I will unscrew your head and shit down your neck. Magda had to hand it to herself. She sounded pretty convincing. In truth, she was scared. Twelve men. They looked normal, but Butch had taken out Dragon with no effort. Did he have more meshwork? You must be Magda, Butch said. The contract is on Lil B, not you or your friend. You two sit down, shut up. Maybe you live to see tomorrow. Magda had to hand it to Butch. He sounded convincing, too. She saw through his emotional mask, saw the fear within, the confusion. All of this was new to him. Even newer to his boys. They stared, wide-eyed and afraid, most unable to take their eyes off of the 15 feet of jet-black luong bound up like an eel in a fisherman's golden net. Where had Butch acquired the protector trap? Who had given it to him? Dante? One of the many bounty hunters? And if it had been one of the hunters, was that killer on the way? I will knock you the fuck out, Magda said. All of you, and I ain't paying for your dental work. She could see the heat rising from the guns the men had dropped. Ariella's meshwork. The lawyer wasn't sure how long she could keep the spell up, though. Magda hoped the weapons weren't hot enough to start cooking off rounds. Knock me out, Butch said. I don't think so. 
Money. Balake. Get at it. Magda didn't know which was which. One was squat and stocky, looked like he had knockout punches for days. The other was taller, skinny, with a receding hairline and a big, gleaming forehead. The stocky one ran at Magda, intent on tackling her. Magda whipped her bow staff's lower end up in a sharp arc, catching him under the chin. He stumbled, his momentum carrying him forward. Magda twisted, smashing the other end of the staff into his temple. She sidestepped as he tumbled past and hit the floor face first. The skinny, balding one came at her next, hands up, trying to grab for her quarterstaff. Dumb move. Magda thrust forward, jamming the tip into his mouth. The man's head snapped back. He dropped like a bag of dead fish. One of his teeth skittered across the stone floor. Told you, Butch, Billy said. I told you you don't want to mess with Magda. Lil B remained at Dragon's side, his arms around the netted creature as if somehow he could protect the protector. Dragon was bound so tight he could not move. Butch's veil of confidence faltered. The squat one wasn't moving. Big forehead rolled to hands and knees, blood dripping from his mouth. Boys, Butch said, all of you. Rush this bitch and end this. The men did not move. Butch's expression shifted. He was uncomfortable feeling afraid, but being angry was clearly a place where he felt right at home. I took out a dragon, he said. If y'all don't kill this fat-ass, scarred-up, mess-smoking, pajama-wearing bitch, I will release that dragon, use more magic to blink my ass out of here, and leave your cowardly asses to those big teeth. The men traded quick glances at each other, at Butch, at the bound-up dragon, and finally, at Magda. Nine men moved toward her, slow and cautious, spacing themselves out, to cover the widest possible area. Nine men. Nine sets of hands. Did any of those hands have claws? Not nine men. Nine demons, laughing and sneering. Nine demons and one umatakin. Hulking. Long arms and legs covered in mismatched, piecemeal armor gathered from the corpses of the dozen Rixators it had killed over the years. The beast's warhammer, smashing home, breaking bones, sending her tumbling. Vestinian's threadwork, catching her while she was down, holding her, pinning her in place as she tried to breathe through the piercing pain of broken ribs and a fractured sternum. One hard, strong, clawed, Umatakan hand, ripping her helmet free, gripping the top of her head, holding it still. Then the other hand, the claws, raking down her face, raking slow, skin ripping, claw tips slicing through her temporalis muscle, scraping against her skull, supinoid bone, then sphenoid, then hooking on her zygomatic arch, only for a moment then crunching past, kicking out little chips of bone as they came free and gouged her zygomaticus minor and major. The blood, both running down her face and leaking through her cheek to spread its coppery taste across her tongue. 
Magda! The shout came from somewhere else, some time else, muffled and thick and echoing. Magda, get up! Get up? Was she down? The Umatakan claws sliced her anew, and just as she had back then, Magda Magdalene's soul shriveled up on itself and crawled somewhere within her to a place as distant and cold as the folds of Eryxator's cloak. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. island in frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Once upon a time, Kalista's building might have been productive making and shipping this widget or that across the Midwest. Perhaps the country. Perhaps even the world. Back a century ago, when Lumencia was an important city and not a broken rust belt rivet. The loading dock had four stalls, where semi-trucks could back up to the raised concrete platform for loading and unloading. Brick walls, chipped and cracked. And in some spots, simply crumbling into clay powder. Iron beam ceiling, rusted and filled with cobwebs. Open only on the street entrance, the three walls mostly hid the interior from sight. Mostly. If Lincoln used an explosive bolt and some non-enlightened passerby saw it, that might draw Jerboas. And it might not. In the center of the empty loading dock stood Veronica and Betty, their broadswords sheathed, each holding a throwing spike in her hand. Veronica's giant panther, with black fur that matched Betty's hair, and Veronica's, with the tawny shade close to Betty's blonde tresses, sniffed at the bricks, undoubtedly trying to find the very secret doors Mercutio had said were on the left wall. Two thugs, with AK-47s held low, stared out into the street. The burly guy, with a battle axe, and the shorter dude with a submachine gun, each followed one of the panthers. Lincoln's goal was to take out at least one of the sisters and reduce the bounty hunter numbers. Hit them quick, then fade out before their numbers could overwhelm him. Easier said than done. Magda had recalibrated the crossbow's scope. Lincoln didn't need time on the range to know it was dead accurate. That was how Magda rolled. Yes, 
An explosive bolt was worth the risk, but it wasn't the first one he would fire. A bolt charmed with no heal meant a shot that would kill a normal person might very likely have the same lethal result on an enlightened. The dampening fields meant the Flechette sisters couldn't detect him, and they probably wouldn't sense the thread when Lincoln activated the bolts. A box truck turned down the street, bounced through potholes as it came closer. It would cross in front of the loading dock, blocking it from view. Merck, get ready. We go in when that truck passes by. Lincoln leveled the crossbow over the dumpster's corner and sighted in on Betty. Blondie's time had come. Appertum vulnus, he said. The loaded bolt flickered with a salt and pepper energy. When the truck was a few feet from crossing in front of the loading dock, Lincoln pulled the trigger. Betty and Veronica both heard the whoomp of the bowstring. Both reacted by ducking and turning toward the sound, which Lincoln had accommodated for when he had sighted in. The flechettes were fast, but not fast enough. At 370 feet per second, the 22-inch long bolt crossed the street in an instant. He'd aimed for Betty's sternum. With her crouch, the charmed bolt punched through the right side of her throat and embedded in the brick wall behind her. He had missed an instant kill shot by less than an inch. The truck passed by the loading dock as Lincoln yanked the bowstring back, cocked it, and dropped in a second bolt, a combination action he performed in less than a second. Ignis, he said. The bolt glowed green. The instant the truck moved past the loading dock, Lincoln pulled the trigger. As the bolt flew, he had a moment to see that Betty was down, Veronica was moving to kneel beside her, the big cats were rushing to her as well, and the four human men had barely reacted. The bolt hit the loading dock's back wall and erupted in a blinding wave of green flame. The explosion caught the men flat-footed, knocking them down. Betty threw herself atop of Veronica. The big cats tensed up, ducked their heads against the bursting conflagration. Lincoln rushed forward, crossing the street, sliding the crossbow into his cloak as he drew his sword and his hatchet. He heard Mercutio behind him, following close behind as he'd been told. The loading dock was a boxed-in cloud of billowing smoke and whirling dust. Lincoln moved right, needing to draw the bad guys to him. Green flame flickered here and there, pulsing the hectic haze with emerald warmth. One of the men, the one with the submachine gun, was fast to his feet, rising just as Lincoln whipped down Bastard Maker, driving the ancient hatchet through the man's collarbone and shoulder blade. Without breaking stride, Lincoln yanked the hatchet free and kept moving, intent on circling around to the back of the loading dock to reach Mercutio on the left side. The Black Panther shot out of the dust and smoke, snarling, eager, and angry. The beast pounced, ten feet of muscled killer with amber eyes and white teeth. Lincoln thrust to Zona's tip at the cat's face. The panther stopped short and reared back, swatting at the long blade. Lincoln kept moving toward the rear wall. Somewhere in the green-tinged cloud of dust, one of the AK-47 wielding thugs opened up, hopefully firing more in panic than strategy. 
The brick walls chipped and powdered in rust-colored blossoms as the 762 by 39 millimeter bullets hit home. Lincoln reached the back wall and cut left, swirling his cloak about him, using it to blend in with the smoke. He felt, rather than saw, a spike bounce off his right shoulder armor. Veronica had just missed a kill shot of her own. A sense of the light changing, a shadow reaching, an irresistible force hurtling headlong toward him. Lincoln dropped and rolled, turning as he did, swiping up with Tizona in a vicious sideways arc. The meshwork blade cut through the leaping panther's belly, ripping flesh and intestines, the tip bouncing off the inside of the beast's spine. A horrid howl of supernatural agony. The beast crashed into the dirty concrete floor, making the dust clouds swirl anew. Lincoln came out of the roll onto his feet. He saw Mercutio, a different medallion in his left hand, standing in front of a dark space in the brick wall. He had gotten the secret door open. The medallion glowed with a metallic white field that seemed to hold the other panther, the tawny one, at a short distance. Paws swiped fast and hard at Mercutio's head, but the cat couldn't quite reach him. Lincoln, hurry! A second spike smashed into Lincoln's leg. This time, he felt the point penetrate his armor, poke into the meat of his thigh. He stumbled, and when he did, he saw a man ablaze with green flame swinging a battle axe at his head. A sound like a light yet bass-heavy snapping of the fingers, three of them in a row, so close there were almost one sound. The axe-wielder's head came apart as three meshwork rounds tore through his skull, splattering Lincoln with gore. The man fell, dead, before he hit the floor. At the secret door, Mercutio still held the medallion, struggling to hold the panther at bay. In his other hand, the suppressed FNX-45 pistol that had quite possibly saved Lincoln's life. The panther again reached for Mercutio, trying to grab him, pull him in, and land a skull-crushing bite. The creature roared with feral ferocity. Lincoln dove, tackling Mercutio and driving him through the opening space. Shut it, Lincoln shouted, before they landed and tumbled down what felt like stone steps. Lincoln rolled to his knees in the narrow stairway, saw the tawny cat trying to squeeze in after them, backlit by the fading yet flickering green flames, its body wiggling to fit into the confined space. Mercutio called out magic words in a language Lincoln did not recognize. The panther seemed to realize it had fucked up royally. It scrambled backward, but the narrow space slowed it. The hidden door slid sideways like a horizontal guillotine. As the green light narrowed to a vertical strip, Lincoln saw the door slam crunch through the panther just behind its shoulders. The door thudded to a halt dropping the passage into darkness. Lincoln heard the panther's front half thud to the ground. Fiat Lux! Mercutio's right gauntlet glowed with a lavender light. Thank you, Lincoln. I was almost done for. Only the steps, 15 of them, were stone. Packed dirt made up the narrow walls and floor leading away from the steps. This leads to the club? Doesn't seem like least the style. 
We're not in that passage, Mercutio said. The panther blocked it. I couldn't get to it. This passageway leads to the other place. At the top of the steps, the closed, dark wall shuddered with a mighty pounding. I will kill you, Lincoln Franks! Jimbo, blow it! Betty's voice, muffled by old brick and dense meshwork, but not so much so that Lincoln didn't hear her grief and her rage. He shoved Mercutio down the passageway. Move! She's coming! The passage was only wide enough, for one. Lincoln followed Mercutio, whose gauntlet illuminated the dirt walls in a pale purple. You won't like this room, Mercutio said. Try to be chill about it. You... The rest of his sentence vanished as the door to the secret passageway blew inward in a deafening, dense shower of bouncing, tumbling brick shrapnel. Magda, get up! She didn't seem to hear Billy's screams. What had happened? He'd watched her dust two men, then she just dropped. Magda lay on the floor, curled into a ball, her trembling hands covering her face. Her kung fu staff lie next to her, the blood of Balake and Money Monday streaking the wood. Billy did not know what to do. Butch and his men stood there, staring. Ariella stepped back into the nave. She gripped her necklace anew, reached a hand toward Magda. Magda slid across the floor and through the doors, which slammed shut. Billy heard the sizzle of burning thread as she sealed it tight. The sound was like the snapping of a hypnotist's fingers, bringing Butch out of his confusion. Get that door open, Butch said. Now. Three of the rolling outlaws ran to the nave doors, rattled them, pounded on them. Billy could see the hastily cast threadwork. It wasn't the same caliber of magic as the front door, and it wouldn't last long under the assault. Money Monday got to his knees. Butch helped him to his feet. You okay, Money? No! Money rubbed his cheek where Magda had connected with the staff. It's like getting hit in the head with a baseball bat. Butch, I don't want to be around dragons and magic and shit no more. Who knows what else in this spooky old place? Can't we just kill Billy and get the hell out of here? A few nods, a few yes from the other men. Not yet, Butch said. Not till Boss Hog gives us the go-ahead. Boss Hog, that boar-headed bounty hunter in the white suit. Was that where Butch got the ring that bound Dragon? That ring, the gold wire. Metal and meshwork, both. Billy saw the threads within the wire sparkling and thin and tough. Tougher, even, than the front door's seal spell. Could Billy tear that wire the way he had torn the seal? He didn't know. Billy slowly petted Dragon, feeling anew the sharpness of the golden net. With the help of two outlaws, Malake got to his feet. Blood smeared his lips and chin. That fucking biff, he said. A lisp in his voice, thanks to his missing front teeth. Fucked up my mouth. You three, 
Get that door open or else, Butch said. Balake, get your shit together. Have the boys start searching the place. Pajamas and little black dress are in here somewhere. Find them. Will do. Balake wiped blood from his split lips. I'm gonna kill that biff. He told the other rolling outlaws which way to go, sending some down the hallway that led to the bathroom, others to the stairs that led to the upper floors. Butch again pulled out his cell phone. He tapped the screen, put the phone to his ear. Fuck, he said. Voicemail again. Can't get through. Just shoot him, Money said. Why are we fucking with this? Shoot him and let's go. Butch looked at Billy. Billy saw the anger in the man's eyes, the hatred, pure and intense. Not yet, he said. This is just a stepping stone, Money. We got to do it right if we want to level up. But that don't mean we can't get some satisfaction while we wait. Stand up, Lil B. It's time for you to pay for what you did to Big Hack. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.